Thank you to Sam and Toby. That sounded great. Good morning. Hope everyone had a good week. Um, if anybody missed last week, and, and let's say you just listened to the audio, and you were like, who's preaching today? It was me. Uh, I've just had a bad cold. And I uh, definitely appreciate your prayers. I, I hopefully sound better. I'm still pretty congested, so people are going through much, much worse, but... Uh, I'm a bigger wimp than the average person, so um, it's good to see you guys today. We're continuing in our Advent series, Christmas in Genesis, and we'll be looking in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, all the way through chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, also, I would also would like to wish Carrie a happy birthday on this day, an undetermined number of years ago. A light was shining in Charlotte, North, North Carolina, where Carrie was born. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon, and is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, 
and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, in this passage we see the sinfulness of the human heart. But we rejoice that that is not the end of the story because we also see a picture of your grace. Lord, we pray for this church, we pray for the community. There's so much illness going around right now, Lord. People who have various health afflictions, diseases, needs, Lord, we know that you hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for people who have recently had surgery for continued recovery. Lord, we pray for this church in these last couple of weeks before Christmas, Lord, that it can be a time and a season of joy, that we can approach this time of year worshipfully. Lord, we pray for our time today as we study in your word, that we be pointed to the gospel and to the hope that is found in Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It can be hard to imagine your life without something once it's part of your life. Whenever I talk to younger people who are about to get married, I say, once you get married, you forget that there was ever a time when you weren't married because it's all-encompassing. It impacts every area of your life. I think of the total paradigm shift that having a kid is. Yeah, you remember that there was a time when you didn't have them, but it becomes impossible to imagine life without them. Kids are all-encompassing. I think of the absolute revolution that the internet has been to the world. Most of human history was lived without the internet, but now it impacts so much of what we do, how we find information, how we consume information, how we're entertained, how we interact. It's hard to imagine that Pandora's box being closed. The Bible begins with God's good creation, and we see a world where there is no sin. And it's hard to imagine because our world is so greatly impacted by sin. It touches every area of our lives. And so it's hard to imagine what a world without sin would even be like. It's a short-lived period of the Bible where all is right and as it should be. In this passage, we'll see a perfect world vividly described in Genesis 2. 
before seeing the fall of man in chapter 3. It's a paradigm shift. A world that had been made perfect is now sinful. But we also see, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, a glimmer of hope that this fall is not the end of the story. While God's good creation is no longer sinless, God is still good. At Christmas time, we remember the story of the incarnation and the Christ coming into the world. And this was to fulfill what the Lord had promised long ago to a world that had fallen. And so we continue in our Advent series this morning, Christmas and Genesis. And today we'll look at the first telling of the gospel in the Bible. And we'll look at today's passage in three scenes. Paradise experienced, paradise lost, and paradise promised. And the main idea from today's passage is that from the beginning, Jesus was the hope for a fallen world. First scene, paradise experienced. Two weeks ago, when we were in chapter 1, our point was that God had created a good world because God is good. And in chapter 2, we're seeing what life in that good world looks like. Verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord has made this garden, this space for man to dwell. We see that the garden offers sustenance. We see that two trees are mentioned in this passage, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life is mentioned in three books in the entire Bible. Here in Genesis, it's mentioned four times in the book of Proverbs, where the tree is associated with wisdom. And finally, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation and appears again in a new heaven and a new earth at the end of the age. The tree of life is a symbol of the divine presence and the true life which is given by God. The tree can be associated with life only because the Lord God is the giver of life. And then there's the second tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Various theologians throughout the centuries have tried to interpret what exactly that means. This knowledge of good and evil seems to be more of a reference to moral autonomy. It would give man a sense of entitlement over being able to judge what we think is right and wrong. And really, that's so much of the crux of humanity's problem today, that we think we know better than God. We think we're the greater judge of righteousness than the Lord. But the reality is that we so often act out of our own self-interest and desire rather than the wisdom of the Lord. We so often act with clouded judgment or with a lack of wisdom rather than God's perfect knowledge. And the passage continues to describe the garden, verses 10 through 14. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedelium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
we continue to see the abundance and fitness of this land. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The, the fact that work precedes the fall shows that work is not a bad thing, nor is it inherently a judgment or result of divine punishment. Work is good. It exists in a sinless world. When I've preached before on the subject of heaven, I've argued that there's work in heaven, not drudgery and frustration and stressful work, but labors of fulfillment and service. Heaven is not a retirement community for all of eternity. One command is given, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The command is given not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No explanation is given, although no explanation is needed either. God is sovereign. There's much more that could be said. Now I want to move to the end of chapter 2 where it leaves us with a picture of Adam and Eve in a perfect place where there is not yet sin. Chapter 2, verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All is perfect, but it's short-lived. We come to our second scene, Paradise Lost. And we come to chapter, chapter 3, and we see the fall. Certainly, it's a familiar passage in the Bible. In Genesis 3, we see this paradigm that so often plays itself out in the human heart in regards to sin. Doubting, distorting, and dismissing God's word. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say? It's introducing the idea that God's word is subject to human judgment and opinion. It's getting that man to question God's word. But the word will also be distorted. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? As a matter of fact, God actually did not say that. What God actually said was in 2, 16 and 17, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He gives them all the trees except one. And again, we can bristle at that. We can question, well, why was that one tree such a big deal? But I would argue that the better question is, why was that one command so hard to follow? The command gets distorted as if it applies to all the trees. Chapter 3, verse 2, Eve responds. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. So far, so good. Verse 3, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's also distorting the command because she's adding on to the command. She says that God said you couldn't eat or even touch the tree, lest you die. Verse 4, the serpent outright contradicts God. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And in that, he's calling God a liar. The serpent flatly contradicts God's word and denies the weight of the consequences of disobedience. Continuing to speak in verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's tempting Eve, telling her of how good it will be to eat this fruit of this tree. Now, he's already distorted. He's already lied. But here, the serpent is actually now telling a half-truth. Eve will have a greater insight to good and evil but it will begin her realizing her own sin and moral failure and how human that's become. The fall of man is a remarkable story. It's very dramatic, but the thought process which will lead Eve to sin is pretty unremarkable because it's pretty typical of how we all think and how we all approach sin, thinking it's something better, thinking that Somehow, we know better than God. The same justifications and distortions and false promises that we so often cling to in order to go our own way and to say, my kingdom come, my will be done. Verses 6 and 7, we see the fall. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for